Hello everyone and welcome to this webinar today. Um, I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and this is one of the many webinars that we do where we talk about big issues and talk about a story of a person who's made a difference or whose life cha has changed because of various events and they're always interesting stories. And today we've got Adria um, Biswas who's with us today and she has got an interesting story to tell because now in her life she campaigns for a number of issues including gender inequality but she's been through quite an interesting and traumatic experience in her life which may have led her to doing what she's doing now so it'd be interest to talk, interesting to talk to her about that and find about her journey to the sort of campaigns that interest her. So, um, Adria, thank you very much for joining us today. And can I start by asking you if you could just tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you so much, Francis, for having me on this show. Uh, it's really an honor to be here uh, today with you. Um, I am a motivational speaker, uh, but more importantly, I am also a, a humanitarian and a social worker. Uh, I'm also an innovator. Uh, so I have uh, created an own, my own banking app, which is being deployed, um, and as well as founder of RASA, which is Rise and Shine Again. It is an initiative to empower you to rebuild a better version of yourself. So this is all about men, women, children that are going through challenges and pains, uh, and for them to see uh, that no matter the past, the challenges, the pains, they can always recreate their lives and make their lives beautiful. Uh, so that's my vision and that's who I am. I'm also a corporate leader and I work in banking. Okay, well, let, let's talk about that uh, in, in a minute and um, go through some of those things. Um, I mean, you've lived in several cities, haven't you, uh, in the world? And um, one of them was New York. What were you doing in New York? Oh, uh, I'm so glad you asked me that question, Francis, because that New York City, the experience is always, always very close to my heart. Uh, it was 2001 fall semester. Uh, I had literally started Columbia University. I was very excited. It's an Ivy League school, and I was doing my master's in wireless and telecommunication. Uh, so that, that, you know, that's what brought me to New York City, was studying for my master's degree. And fall semester, exciting times, beautiful season. Uh, everything was perfect about New York City when I traveled there. And, you know, you got excited by it. And then you got caught up in the 9-11 tragedy. How were you caught up in that and what happened? Uh, yes, it's been 19 years now. And I still remember it so so clearly. Uh, my train was the last train to come into New York City um, because I literally just moved in. I was staying in Jersey and the last train to come in into World Trade Center because that's where I would change trains and then take um, a subway to go uptown to Columbia University. And when my train entered, the police over there said, well, leave the premises, leave the building. There is a bomb in the building. And People thought that, you know, it's, it's a farce, it's, it's a joke, and they were quite okay about it. They were literally walking quite casually till we started running out of the building. And when I came out, 
I saw the first plane had already hit, which they were referring to as the bomb. And I saw the second plane hit. So that hit the South Tower because uh, everybody was looking up and I was looking up as well. And all of a sudden, what seemed like a toy plane at that point of time, I mean, I it was so unprecedented that I never, ever imagined it was a passenger plane. I only realized it was a passenger plane much later when I read it on the news. But at that point of time in my head, it was so tiny um, that I saw it hit. And I thought somebody must have, you know, remote controlled a bomb into the building. And for 40 minutes, we were just stood there, Francis, because nobody anticipated the towers to come down. And, you know, whilst, whilst you maybe have been watching it on TV or people that are listening to us today were watching it on TV and they were seeing the smoke of clouds going up, I was choking in them. Uh, in for, actually, in those 40 minutes, I saw moms looking out for their daughters, um, employers looking out for their employees, gathering them together. There was a woman next to me who even pointed out to the building and said, you know, when the two burning bodies fell down, she said, that's my sister. So there were people that had already lost their state of mind and sanity. Our phones were not working. My phone was not working. And one second that building was stood up. I didn't know where to go. It was brand new for me in New York City. I couldn't come back into Jersey because the trains had closed. I couldn't go to my college. So I was stood there. And one second you saw this massive, tall, iconic tower. And then the very next second, and I can compare it with the tsunami. It was literally a tsunami of wave of dust coming towards you because the South Tower collapsed. Um, and I just didn't know what to do. You know, people started just running and turning around and running, and so did I. And literally within seconds, it was a complete blackout. So I was stuck in debris with five or maybe six more other people because I could hear, I could hear their voices, some praying, some swearing, and I was numb. So I think I was young and I really, really didn't know. I, re I really didn't know how to face that situation. And, and I can talk about it now. Yes, I mean, I am claustrophobic today, uh, till date. I can travel on planes, but what seemed forever, somebody managed to get out of that debris and pulled me out with my, with my turtleneck. And that once gorgeous, lively New York City was just turned into ember and ashes. Um, and I survived. I was, I was lucky to survive. But when I walked through, people said, just walk towards the Hudson River. And we were walking towards the river and we were told, if something like this happens where, you know, another building comes crashing down because of the impact, just jump into the river. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I've been lucky once and I've been, I've been saved, but I don't know how to swim. So um, anyways, we were taken to Chinatown, uh, into the hospital. I was flushed several times. I met many other survivors there and some they were telling stories of how they were on the top tower uh, literally on, you know, the 97th floor, etc., where they came down, even though they were told to stay up in the tower, and they were telling us their story. So I didn't talk. Uh, there was a girl next to me who wanted to go back into the tower, 
to get her belongings. And I'm like, surely the building's on fire. You, your, your boss is not going to tell you anything. Um, she didn't recognize. She didn't recognize me. She didn't recognize any of us when we were in the hospital. She was just, she just absolutely blanked out. And I didn't talk for two days. All I did was just kept writing about my entire account, which was then published in the Times, uh, my experience. I mean, obviously, it was incredibly traumatic for you, and it must have taken a long, long time to get over it. I read somewhere that there was some point in your life where you almost lost the will to live and then bounced back. Was it that time? Is that what caused it? No, Francis. I mean, I think on on 9-11, I could have either lived or I could have died, but I was blessed with life. And that day completely transformed me and my thinking. I, I began to respect life and people and live life to the most because you, life is so short. You just don't know what's going to happen next. So um, my thinking towards life, you know, respect, respecting, tolerance, acceptance, I think I became spiritually um, a much more evolved person and I transformed. But I went through personal 9-11s in my life. So I had an abusive marriage. I have fought legally in the highest level of governments for over 10 years. And I have gone through not just ups and downs, but I could almost say summits and valleys where I was literally dying every single day that I was living. So on 9-11, I lived, but I have gone through many incidents in life where I had, I had literally hit rock bottom, Francis, like had given up the will to live. But you bounced back. I bounced back, yes, and and that's why I became a domestic violence ambassador as well, because not everybody can bounce back, but also not everybody bounces back because they don't know how to, or they don't have the support system. I was really lucky because I had my parents and my sister, and they got me out of that situation, and they showed me the path uh, without any judging, nothing. They were loving, they were accepting me, and gave me the chance to restart my life. And that's the reason, Francis, what I do today is to pay forward those blessings so that I can be the wings for women that have given up. And I want to be the story for them that if I could restart my life, so can you. You're not alone because we all go through challenges, but we should not give up. Well, you clearly shown immense resilience and that that's amazing and it's a, a great story for other people and you know when you got back to you got your life back one of the things you did is you went into a beauty pageant tell us about that uh, yes yeah, so i um i was mrs india uk universe 2019 last year uh, and I joined the pageant in the UK, which was Mrs. India UK, and I, I was a um, title winner there. I was one of the main winners, and then I went on to Mrs. Universe. But the key reason I wanted to join the pageant, so I've been an academic all my life. I'm an innovator, and I've been a corporate leader. But I wanted to 
I wanted the message and people call people tell me that Adrija, you are our voice. There are so many women that are not able to express, that are not able to share their stories and you are our voice. So the reason I joined the pageant is because I wanted to, I wanted to be the voice of all those women who were banking on me to share their voices globally on the Mrs. Universe platform and level because Mrs. Universe is all about women empowerment. It is all about um, survivors from domestic violence. And also I wanted to send the message, Francis, that joining a beauty pageant is not about physical beauty or outer beauty. You know, we women are, we, I think we're amazing, uh, you know, as moms, as daughters, as wives, as um, employees, we, we do so much. We do so much of multitasking, but we don't give ourselves enough credit. And a lot of times we feel that, oh, you, you know, beauty is just physical beauty. But I wanted to prove that beauty is more than what you look outside. It's about your experiences. It's about your resilience. It's about your mental attitude, you know, your positivity. How do you make people feel? It's all of those strengths that make you who you are. And after marriage, I've seen a lot of women forgetting to live life. They lose their identity. They completely forget who they are. And I also wanted to be the message for those women that no matter where you are at your life, just don't give up on hope. If you have dreams, live it. I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and do something that I've never done before, just to give a message to women out there. It doesn't matter what age you are and always dream and always go out and do things that you're afraid of because you'll probably succeed, but you won't know till you don't do it. <laughs> so you said that, you, yeah, or you, you argue that you use the beauty pageant as a platform because some feminists would say beauty pageants and gender inequality just don't go together, but you actually think they do. Is that right? Absolutely, because it is all about, and that's again what I wanted to say, beauty pageants, people feel it's all about, you know, appearances. And where I come from in India, Francis, growing up, there was this notion that beauty means you have to be tall, slim, and fair, you know, and that's what beauty is, but that is not it. It is about, it is about intellect. I was also awarded um, Mrs. Intellectual and Mrs. Courage. So it's, it's about all those additional core values that we bring and we want people to appreciate us, not just for, you know, like the tip of the iceberg, People only see the tip of the iceberg, but what lies beneath is, is what, what the iceberg's made up of. So that was my message. You talk about what, you know, lies beneath, and that's a really interesting, um, you know, thing to say. But, uh, you know, you, you're a very attractive person, so you did use that platform. You're a very intelligent person, and you use that to do all the things you're doing. Some people who don't have those attributes, how can you tell them that they can get the equality that they want, that they need and they deserve? Um, don't you feel in the way you're saying, I've set a standard you won't reach? How do you get them to get to that standard as well? 
So first of all, Francis, I wouldn't even want them to think that it's a certain standard. It's all about what we feel within. And thank you so much for your kind comments. Um, but I think it's really important to start with self-love, self-care. So if each one of us really felt the self-worth, um, you know, when I was going through those personal 9-11s that I talked about when I hit rock bottom, I had no self-worth. So when you're talking about people that feel that they're not beautiful, they're not intelligent, they're nothing, I was at that state. And hence, because I know that I have transformed myself out of that state, I know people can do that. Um, it's just by respecting yourself. It's by loving yourself and by knowing that these are my dreams, these are my strengths, and this is what I want to contribute in the world. And when you start with that vision, and when you have that passion, it just follows. This is follow for everyone because, you know, having self-love, having self-worth is a really important message. But people that live in poverty, people that live in slums, um, they're going to find that very difficult. So isn't equality more than just your own self-worth? It's about changing the structures in society that create conditions where people find it very difficult to develop that self-worth. You're, you're right. And I think it's all about equal opportunity as well, because we all have the talent in us. But as you said, right, if they didn't have the platform, if they don't have the opportunity, how would they showcase it? So you're, you're absolutely right, Francis, and I stick by it that gender equality is more than just gender and equality for men and women, but it's also about giving them the opportunities so a lot of times when I'm working on domestic violence, there are women and girl children that don't have equal opportunities. Boys are treated separate to girls. You know, boys are given all the education and women are said, you know, they're told, they're kind of put in a box, like a preconceived, predetermined box that you need to look after their family, you need to look after the children. But women can have dreams and if we don't get the opportunity, where does it say that a woman can't be a pilot or an astronaut or whatever dreams that they want to dream? Uh, so part of the work that I do is working with families and communities and societies to show them that we have evolved, you know, all of those thinking um, societal pressures of women are certain certain roles, girls have to do certain roles, has evolved. Men and women today are, and especially with COVID you've seen, we're both looking after families at home. We're both working from home. Um, so we should give our girls equal opportunities and that's how we'll be able to make a difference. So, it, I mean, when you do the things you do, it's not about campaigning, is it? It's not about sort of attacking the government. It's about saying to women, saying to families, look, you know, if you create the right attitudes uh, and if you have the attitude of Obama, yes, I can, then you can. And is that what you're trying to get over? First of all, you know, don't live in a hopeless state. Think that you can do something. That is spot on. So on 9-11, when I survived, I asked myself, you know, why, why has God given me this life? And I realized that it was because I had to spread hope and I had to spread happiness uh, in everything I do and wherever I go. So the primary thing is to give people hope. And I'm not, 
I'm not attacking or working against governments or, you know, I think it's men and women together. So the campaign is to raise awareness, is to raise awareness that A, we need to have the dream. We don't need to ever give up on hope. And B, we need to work as societies to not judge people. If somebody wants to do something, let them be, you know, give them the wings. It's about empowering. It's about empowering today's women so that they can be the role models for tomorrow's girls. Because you can't be something if you can't see it. So I wanna kind of make sure that we create a society which is inclusive of men and women across multiple roles doing, because we all have our own skill sets. Um, and it's not just in the corporate world, but also, um, you know, people from, I, I love music, so I, I'm a singer. And if somebody wants to sing, let them be. So it's all about hope and it's all about opportunities as well. In a way, you, you are dealing with some structural things, aren't you? Because I gather you're very involved in the 50-50 campaign. And you also have a sort of fairly um, high position in a bank and you're very concerned with corporate social responsibility. So do you see, uh, you know, it's important to campaign in corporations and in powerful organisations that they follow that 50-50 principle? Uh, absolutely. And I think a lot of these companies have already taken them on board. Um, you know, you will see way more women executives on top leadership roles than we probably had 10 years back because it's breaking that mindset and it's breaking that barrier. Um, and if we can work with our colleagues, so it's about it's about being respected and I, I was an um, analyst consulting group lead, so I had around 200 analysts working with me where I was mentoring them uh, to become the next generation of leaders. And I, I've come across such amazing talent, brilliant uh, men and women, uh, each have their own strength. And I've also seen that groups, whether they're projects, whether they're teams, we are now starting to make sure that it's a more inclusion and diversity is embraced, whether it's gender inclusion and diversity or, um, you know, ethnicity, the more people you get from different skills and different backgrounds, the more innovative and creative a society and a company gets and we become more successful. So I've definitely seen a shift, um, Francis, in all of these corporates and it's part of our ethos now. But as you've sort of gone up the corporate ladder, have you found it difficult because you're a woman? Did you have to fight or did your personality take you through all of that? Um, that's a really uh, interesting question, Francis. I, um, I have been, uh, so I was in Accenture before I joined HSBC and both these organizations are very, very um, high on uh, inclusion and diversity, mental health advocacy. So I was a mental health ambassador as well. And we've had women leaders, and I've been a women leader mentor for a lot of um, uh, for a lot of employees. I've personally not really had to experience that barrier. Even when I came back from maternity leave, I had the same opportunities. But I do know that there are women and other firms where they come back from maternity leave and they feel that they're not valued anymore or they feel like there is an expectation that you're not supposed to be 
looking after your children and you may not be able to dedicate equal hours. Um, but both my organizations that I've been in, we have encouraged uh, flexible working. Uh, we have encouraged checking in to make sure that our employees are able to voice and speak up. Um, so you will see a lot of that gender equality uh, going through our promotions to make sure that we are bringing in people from diverse cultures, from all, all genders. So whilst I've not had to face any discriminations, I have been part of a culture where we are encouraging an inclusive environment for, for our employees. And it's across all levels. So, you know, when I say inclusive, it's not just because I'm a corporate leader. I encourage our analysts and across all levels to become leaders. So it's about discovering the leader within you, no matter whether you are an exec or whether you're just a new joiner analyst. I, I mean, you mentioned you were a, a, a mental health uh, mentor as well. And that's quite interesting. And I can understand you, you wanted to be that because I think, you know, everyone goes through difficult times and having someone as a mentor is important. And I guess you see that as part of the equality agenda as well. Um, but you're also, aren't you? You're also very concerned with human trafficking. What made you concerned with that? Um... I met uh, Shujo John, who is the founder of You Can Free Us, which is the organization that I'm associated with. And he was a 9-11 survivor as well. And I remember him saying that when he was, when he was trapped in the debris, he, um, he wanted to, he, he almost want, had a feeling that we have to rescue. So it's almost like a mission that if we were rescued, there are so many other people out there women out there, children out there that are trapped, that we need to now go and rescue. So um, I came across that mission. When I was working on domestic violence, uh, I also came across um, uh, not just gender violence, but also um, you know family violences where it was like honor killings and so on. And through that, I, I was exposed to this horrific, business it's almost a business human trafficking and I have a daughter so when my daughter was born I had to make the world a better place because when I saw the stories Francis of eight-year-olds nine-year-olds being trapped in dark cages four by four cages for years where they have not seen daylight it just felt wrong and we have to raise a voice so that's when I got involved in human trafficking, raising funds for them. Last year when I went to India, I went into the safe houses and I spoke to these, spoke to these girls and it was amazing because we are not only rescuing them, but we are also rehabilitating them and we are empowering them to get back into society, um, you know, with, with honorable jobs and so on. So they don't feel that they're not a fit into society. Um, and when I met those girls, their stories were their stories were ghastly. I have no idea how anybody can go through that, but more importantly, how people can encourage people to go through it. So for us, it's about educating the system. And that's where I've taken a stance where I want to educate our daughters to be fearless and our men to respect women. So 
whilst domestic violence is an issue, human trafficking is like a similar issue uh, where I'm fighting so that if we become an empowered society and men and children of next generation say, no, this is wrong, then we will be able to close that cycle of abuse. Um, so there's all these education programs that we're doing to, to bring that mindset and help people think differently. And, you know, you do all that. And on top of all that, you're an ambassador for peace um, through the Universal Peace Federation in the United Nations. How do you get involved in that? And what does that mean? Uh, being a peace ambassador for me, um, I, I, was, I was approached last, uh, I think it was last year, was it two years back by Universal Peace Federation. And I loved their ethos and all of the difference that they're making into society, whether it's, you know, building peace by interracial marriages. Uh, my husband's British, I'm Indian, but the whole concept was building tolerance, uh, respecting and accepting empathy, uh, being kind, and all of those core values, I think is something that we need to, we need to, there's so much pain going on all over the world, whether there are wars or religious disputes. And I think if we took a step back and each one of us found that inner peace and we're able to transform ourselves personally, and that's I became a motivational speaker as well, apart from being a peace ambassador, is if we are motivating people to become the best version of themselves. Because if each one of us can accept people for who they are, I'm a very positive person, Francis. For me, my glass is always full. Whether it's half with air and half with water, it's always full. And I want people to see that that you know, if you don't like something about somebody, change your outlook, change your perspective. I have worked in diverse cultures. I've lived and studied in multiple countries and I love people and cultures and diversity, but not, and that's what I need to, and that's what I'm trying to encourage people to see that embrace diversity. You know, just because you don't like something about somebody or something doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't like that person. So change your outlook, become more accepting, accepting towards people's situations, towards people's circumstances. Um, be tolerant about people's views. And that way we would have less disputes. We would have less violence. So my role as a peace ambassador is to create tolerant, creative, peaceful societies and communities where men and women are working together to love and respect and so that we can create um, almost kind of create the same situation for our next generation as a as role models well i mean you have all these passions which is which is really great um but you know how do you sort of so work them all out in your own mind because it must be very very difficult i mean do you belong to a lot of organizations and campaigns in those organizations with others or do you look upon yourself as a speaker someone who's well known as someone who can go out and sort of preach your message and that's what you do i mean what, what what's your main mode of operation i have a show i have a weekly show um on speak up and empower tv so it's real talks for beautiful survivors and every wednesday evening i bring in a guest 
and we talk about their survival story and we spread hope and we spread the message that we are all going through challenges and pains, maybe all in different degrees. Um, but but the, I, I use my show as a channel to sort of inspire and motivate people. I am also invited on uh, several talk shows. Um, I go to schools and I talk about gender equality. I talk about um, you know corporate leaders, women leaders, women empowerment, and the tools that we can use to transform all of those pains into our power and how do we make ourselves powerful. I'm doing a lot of projects, whether that's building confidence for women um, because domestic violence, can they feel that they're not worth it? So it's about, it's about training them. It's about making them feel loved, making them feel valued. It's about helping them find their goals in life and uh, yeah, taking them through that path. I'm also part of some organizations, uh, which is Loani, Ladies of All Nations International. I'm part of IIW, Inspiring Indian Women, and I work with the Indian High Commission here as a volunteer, and uh, also part of Aesthetics Board, and she inspires me as an advisory board. Um, okay, so I mean, when you do your speaking, for example, in the show that you do, do you get a lot of response for, from that? People have problems and, and they need help. And if you've got organizations, you can then refer them to. You don't just yes. leave them, do you? No, 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 not at all. And, you know, whether it's mental health issues, um, you know, people are struggling with depression and they just want someone to talk to. Um, they know where to reach me, whether it's domestic violence. Uh, we are already connected with organizations globally. So I've got my global sisters, whether it's in America, whether it's in Africa or India. And wherever people reach out from, um, I connect them. If, if I can't help them here in London, I, I'm connected with a global organization where I will refer them on to. Uh, so no, not at all. They are not on their own. And that's the message that, you know, when I went through the challenges, Francis, I didn't even know there were organizations that existed. And I thought I had to deal with it on my own. And the only people that could rescue me was my parents. But times have changed. You know, I'm like 20 years down the road now. There are so many organizations that are doing incredible work every day. Um, so no, nobody's on their own. And I want them to be able to break the silence, to reach out, but also as us, as communities, we need to look out for the signs for people that are either going through mental health or domestic violence and help get them a safe way out. So it's, it's both way. When people want to make change, I suppose one of the things they need to do is think about what the skills they have that can make a difference. And in a way, the skills that you seem to have that you're talking about is that you're a networker, you're, you're a conduit, you can bring people together, you can refer them on. That is, I mean, you could belong to an organization, you could campaign on the streets, but there is, isn't there, a really important role for the networker, the person who can bring people together and make contact. And, and as well as um, being able to give them hope, Francis, because, you know, when I share my stories, uh, I mean, yes, of course, right now I wasn't able to share all of the challenges that I have gone through, but 
when I share my stories, people can relate whether they're single moms or whether you know they are people going through legal challenges or financial challenges. I've had my parents to rescue me financially as well, um, but I felt that you know a lot of women were not getting justice because they didn't have money or they didn't have the confidence and I've been through all of that. So a lot of the time, it's not just about networking, it's also about telling these women and telling these girls and telling these children that you are not alone and giving them that hope. I think people feel that it's only them that they're going through. When I went through it, I felt, why me? And I almost wanna tell people that if we spiritually transform ourselves, if we, you know, if we counted our blessings, if we had a gratitude attitude, and if we embraced people for who they are, then our pains would go away. So it's also about showing people um, and helping them transform. And, okay. and that's what I do best. Okay, well, you obviously seem to do it very well and you multitask a great deal. As you say, you're a woman and they multitask. I'm a man and I can't. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, I wouldn't say that. I think, you know, women alone can't solve the problem, uh, Francis. So it's men and women together that are making a difference. I couldn't have done it. You know, my, my son is, is a mental health ambassador as well and he respects women. He's already broken that cycle of abuse. My daughter is fearless. So... You know, fathers looking out for their daughters, brothers looking out for their sisters, men and women together are the ones that can make a difference. No, I agree. I mean, I was joking when I said I can't <laughs> multitask, because obviously I do. And, um, you know, I think it is working together. And I think that's a big change between the 1960s. Men and women realize they have to work together to actually achieve the end that they want. You can't work separately. You can have diversity, but you've got to work together as well. Well, look, we're sort of coming to the end of this interview. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, uh, really interesting. And we could go on talking for a long time. But if people wanted to find out more about what you do and make contact with you, how would they go about doing it? Uh, I'm on my Facebook. Um, it's called Adrita Biswas Rise and Shine Again. Uh, so that's my public page. I'm happy for people to connect me uh, over there. I'm on LinkedIn as well, uh, Adrija Biswa. So if people wanted to get some corporate guidance, happy for them to connect. I've had people um, that wanted to have a woman uh, leader um, as a coach. So I, I do that as well. And uh, I'm also on YouTube as Adrija B1. Okay, well, that, that, that's great. So people will know how to get in touch with you. Okay, well, you know, thank you really for doing this interview. It's been great. And you're, you are clearly a very inspiring person. And I think people will have learned a lot and got a lot of encouragement about, you know, how they can go about follow, you know, making a change following your story. So thank you for doing it. And I'm sure we'll do something again in the future because I think you have a lot to tell people and you have a great example that people can follow. So thank you for doing this. Thank you this. so much, Francis. Can I just leave one note behind for everyone? Because um, that's very close to my heart. I say life is like a boxing ring. Uh, defeat is not declared when you fall, but defeat is declared when you refuse to rise up. So rise up and shine again. Okay, well, that's a good message to end the interview on. So thank you again for doing this. Thank you so much and for having me here. Okay, well, thank you. And we'll end this interview now.